You're listening to Greater L.A. from KCRW, the show that connects you to the people and the places of Southern California. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiotakis. Nothing like a freezing cold winter with sky-high gas prices to make you think, maybe the old windows are letting in too much cold air, or the pricey utility bill last month made you afraid to fire up the furnace, or you're feeling jealous of your solar-paneled neighbors for making it through a recent power outage unscathed. Well, I've got good news for you. There are thousands of dollars waiting for you to take the plunge on some of those home improvements. Free money from the government. Here's President Joe Biden speaking at the State of the Union last month. We're helping families save more than $1,000 a year with tax credits to purchase electric vehicles and efficient, efficient appliances, energy-efficient appliances. Now, taking advantage of that money is a little complicated. That's why we have KCRW's Kaylee Wells here to sort through some of it. She covers climate for us, and she joins me right now. Hi, Kaylee. Hey, Steve. I want to start with a big one on on mines all across California right now, which is the gas bill. What money is on the table for folks who want to switch to electric heating? Yeah, there's actually a lot of options, and they're not just for replacing your furnace. So you can get up to $2,000 for installing a heat pump. There's another $1,750 for switching to an electric water heater. Here's one maybe you haven't heard of. It's called an electric heat pump clothes dryer. It's better for the planet, and if you're willing to make the switch, you could get another $840 for that. Here's the thing, though. This is where it gets complicated. Those rebates are only available to low- and moderate-income homes. There are also tax credits for some of these improvements, which will only cover 30% of the total cost. And that's going to be a theme here that we're going to see with the rest of these here, just 30% of the total cost. All right, 30% of the cost. Um, There are other things, Kaylee, that the government will help you pay for, right? Like better washing machines or maybe insulated windows. Exactly right. So windows and doors, actually, that's when you want to be pretty strategic about because you can get back 30 percent on window and door upgrades up to twelve hundred dollars. But the amount that you get back resets every year. So maybe you do all your kitchen windows one year and you do the living room and the front door the next year to maximize that benefit. Also, electric stoves, you can get another $1,000 for getting an electric coil or induction stove. And then here's another big one that you might not think of. You can get up to $4,000 if you need to update your electrical panel to accommodate all of these new electric appliances that you're going to get. I think we've got to talk about solar panels, too, like I mentioned at the top. I, I hear about these incentives to put solar panels on the roof all the time. What's out there? Oh, yeah, I know. And I'm glad you brought that one up because... While the federal credit actually just went up, the state credit is about to go down a lot. So we're in this really short window right now where Californians are seeing some of the best solar incentives we might ever see. I'm assuming that's getting more people excited about putting panels on roofs right now, right? I mean, like the incentives are there, but they're not going to be there forever. Yeah, it is. Um, I interviewed Stephen Lassiter. He is the director of public policy for a solar company called Sunrun. And he says the tax credit's been really good for business. We're seeing a ton of interest in not just solar, but also home storage or home batteries that can provide backup power to folks as the, the number of grid outages continues to increase. He actually called his sales record-breaking. He said business is actually up 30% compared to this time just a year ago, which also means if you want to get the benefits of the federal tax credit and the state credit before it goes down, you're going to want to start that process now to get it done in time. So how much time do you have to get it done? We're 
just talking a matter of a few weeks. So in California, when you make more solar energy than you use, you can sell it back to the grid. And starting in April, California will buy solar energy back for about a quarter of the price it's been buying it for, unless you build those panels before that deadline. So if you want to get locked in at that higher rate, you have to act now. And I know I said the deadline's in April, but Lasseter says it takes a few weeks to get the paperwork filed before the panels can get installed. And we're in March already, so it would be right about now when you'd want to get started. Yeah, certainly sooner rather than later. So, all right, even if you don't hit that deadline, Kaylee, the the federal tax credit isn't going anywhere, right? So what does that look like right now? That's right. We still have other incentives to try it, even if you miss April. So if you put solar panels on your roof, the federal government gives you some of that cost back as a tax credit. Here's Lasseter again. You effectively can take 30 percent off the total cost of your system. So there's that 30 percent number again. But we're not just talking about the panels. If you buy batteries, it can go toward that cost, too. It's the entire system, 30 percent off the whole system. That sounds great, Kaylee, if you own your own home. But is there any money in there? And because, you know, the vast majority of people in Southern California are renters. What if you're a renter? Yeah, you're right. There's not as many incentives for renters, but there are definitely some. So, yes, most of us rent. If you're in a situation, though, where you are replacing your own appliances in your home that you rent, all of those things we already talked about still apply to you. But also, regardless of whether you rent or buy your home, almost everybody is eligible for an electric car credit. All right. So let's talk about that one, because there's a catch to that, right? Like like only some electric cars qualify? Yeah, uh, not a whole lot of cars qualify. And this is also a little complicated. So the full credit for buying a new EV is $7,500 or $4,000 for a used one. And that's on top of a few more thousand dollars from some smaller state rebate programs. But here come all the catches. So... The car has to cost less than a certain amount. If it's a used car, it has to be under 25000 If it's a new sedan, it's got to be less than 55000 And if it's an SUV or a truck, it's got to be under 80000 And I do get it. Like, even with those big credits, that's a lot of money. And that is not affordable for a lot of people. Here's the more tricky, complicated part. A certain percentage of the materials that go into making these EV batteries have to come from North America. So if you have a lower percentage from North America in your EV battery, that means you have a lower tax credit. <laughs> How do you keep up with all of this, Kayla? I mean, look, I'm, I'm just a guy. Maybe I want to get rid of, you know, ditch the internal combustion engine and go for an electric vehicle. How do you keep up with all of these these credits and, and, and tax incentives? Yeah, I totally get it. I have no idea what percentage of my EV's battery comes from North America. Honestly, I would just ask the experts you're buying from. I mean, it's their job to keep track of that for you. Right now, we're really only talking about maybe 20 different options that are qualifying right now. So maybe instead of finding your favorite car and hoping it qualifies, it might make more sense to find the short list of models that do qualify and then pick your favorite from there. Some good news, though, if you wait until next year, the hope is that this can go from being a tax credit that you get when you file your taxes to a discount that you get at the point of sale. So you won't have to wait for the government to pay you back. And actually, waiting might not be a bad idea because this is not a terrible time to remind everybody. It's actually better for the planet to drive your old car longer than it is to keep buying brand new ones. Because that older car obviously goes into someone else's hands, right? It just keeps recycling that car. Yeah, that's the idea. And you don't want to add to the demand of creating more cars because a lot of a car's carbon footprint comes from when it gets manufactured. 
What if you don't have one of those chargers at home, right? There, there are a lot of folks who obviously um, will charge at work, but what, and, you know, and, and that's one way to go. But what if you don't have the charger at home? I mean, that makes it a lot tougher to own an EV. Yeah, a lot tougher and sometimes more expensive to drive it. Maybe you don't own your own home. Maybe you're not allowed to install one. If that's you, try looking into California's right to charge law. And there are a lot of loopholes and specifics here. But if you've renewed your lease in the last four years and you live somewhere with its own parking lot or garage that hasn't installed chargers for tenants yet, chances are pretty good you can request in writing that your landlord install a charger. And under this law, they would have to install one for you. And perhaps the most important question, Kaylee, if I go through all this work to buy something that's, you know, this partially paid for by the Inflation Reduction Act, how do I get that credit? Yeah, most important question. And unfortunately, the worst answer I have so far, which is we don't really fully know yet. Another chunk of money is getting set aside for states to implement the rebate programs, and California is getting that this year. The state says it expects the rebate money to be available in 2024. Also worth mentioning, some of these rebates do have income caps. The solar panel one doesn't, these others do, and they do vary based on the median income of the area you live in and which rebate you're trying to go for. So there's lots that you want to look into before you start taking the plunge and buying some of these big ticket items. Been obviously worthy of your research, right? Do some research on it. If you think it's something that you can save some money on or a really good deal can be had, do your research and, and, and perhaps make the switch. Do what you need to do to become more climate-friendly, as it were. KCRW's Kaylee Wells, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Yeah, Steve, anytime. Well, staying warm hasn't been easy or cheap this winter. Below-average temperatures have had you scrambling for a heat source, whether that be electric heat pump, like we just talked about, or furnace, radiator, even a small space heater. And if there's gas involved in that heat, you've probably seen sticker shock on your bill. Well, we asked you about how you're feeling this winter and how you've been staying warm up to now. And here are some responses that we got. This has to be the most coldest year that I've, I've experienced. I think this year I've had my heater on for more than three to four hours. I live in a beautiful historic neighborhood with beautiful historic windows with sheath window closures that are extremely drafty. So I have been pinning taping, uh, just attaching any kind of curtain I can to the glass to keep the warmth inside because it is cold. Since, you know, the gas prices have gone up so much, uh, we've been just avoiding using our heater completely and just been, you know, bundling up and wearing, uh, having socks on all the time, um, slippers and even bathrobe. You know, I'm, I'm in L.A. I don't have a lot of warm clothes, so I'm actually layering T-shirts. I'm layering, you know, shorts under my pajama pants. Just anything that kind of puts more fabric between me and the cold. I have an electric blanket that used to be mine, but now it belongs to the cats because I put it in their little cat bed, and they usually don't snuggle. But since I put the electric blanket in there, they're both just curled up. <laughs> They cuddle up with me and my wife. They, they jump on the bed or they jump on the couch. Um, it's a schnauzer, by the way. I'm sorry, it's a schnauzer. So it jumps in the middle of both of us just to keep warm, which is very different behavior from last year because last year he was more independent in the cold where it's like, I don't need you guys. And so this year is like, 
and paw and gnawing on you. It's like, hey, let me join you guys because it's it's frigid cold for me. And so, yeah, he's definitely keeping us warm and re in return, we're keeping him warm. I am comfortable, thank goodness, like if, cause mostly I am trying to keep my gas bill low. So I really kind of ride the edge. I, I'm reticent to turn it up higher than 68. Uh, I've been baking a lot because that warms up the house too. The kitchen's sort of in the in the middle of the apartment, I should say. So you know, any excuse to bake something, I'm like, oh good, this will help warm up the house. Um, so it's been sort of a balancing act between how high do I want my bill to be and how warm do I want to be. Since early December, we kind of just stopped using gas um just because of everything we're hearing and uh we i think the latest uh bill came out to just one therm that we used fortunately for me my my uh my landlord provides uh uh free electricity but if for some reason if uh, the electric bill goes above my pay then i would have to pitch in like hey you know the electric bill came up a little higher can you help me out we're finally getting a taste of how winter might be like outside of California. Climate change is definitely on our minds, so we're, we're starting to consider whether this is something that's going to become a regular thing every year, and should we plan ahead because uh, we had mentioned the drafty windows to our landlord before, and she's just said, oh yeah, put in a work order. We never got around to it because we were like, eh, it's fine. But I think if we had the foresight, like we do now, for next time winter comes around, we definitely would not have, you know, waited so long on getting these windows looked at. Because I think they're like 100 years old, so getting some 100-year-old drafts in here. That was J.C. Garcia, Howard Vidal-Wren, and Mariana V., Thank you for your response and sharing what it's been like to weather a memorable winter of storms that have hit greater L.A. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. If you can't warm up your insides where you live, you can drop some bucks on a bowl of broth. There's an impressive bounty of soups right here in L.A. Of course, the standards, Vietnamese pho, Japanese ramen, but Korean matzo ball, Jamaican cowfoot soup. Eater L.A. has a list of soups up right now. Mona Holmes is a reporter at Eater L.A. and joins us. Hey, Mona. Hi, Steve. And Matthew Kang is lead editor there as well. Matthew, thanks. Hey, how are you? I'm good. All right, let's talk about these bowls of delicious. Um, and I want to talk about the, the soups that you compiled. Is L.A. a good soup town? I mean, I know we have options, 
But do we have the right weather for soup? Is it an you know essential part of the food scene? Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. First of all, uh, I'm I'm constantly reminded that you know even though it's warm for most of the year, like a good portion of the year, it's quite cold. And um, I I actually crave soup all all year long, but I probably have soup now three or four times a week, you know, during the winter and colder months. Basically, anything below sixty degrees, which I consider cold. Well, it's been we've actually it's been decades since we've had a string of days where it's been below sixty, like it has this winter. So below average temperatures for sure. What about your personal favorites, Mona? Tell us, you know, if you have an overall preference for a certain type of soup. Yeah, sure. It's well, it depends on the day. Uh, when the weather was really coming down, I need comfort right away. So I definitely lean towards something like a Connie and Ted's clam chowder. I think they make Ooh. a wonderful one. Ramen is always essential. LA, LA is clearly very much so a ramen town. <laughs> There's so many options for us. There's too many to list. We also have a map for that, by the way. Um, but I also really love um, a soup that has deep flavors where they roast the bones and or the broth for hours and hours. And for that reason, I love a place like Phnom Penh Noodle Shack in Long Beach. It's been around since the mid 80s. They make Cambodian style noodles, porridge, fried breads. All of those things are perfect for cool weather. And if they're for the first time, just get the Phnom Penh noodles. You can't go wrong. What about you, Matthew? You have a preference? What's your, what's your favorite spot? What's your favorite soup? Oh man, I have I have two that I want to talk about. First one is my favorite pho place. So we had an article called Highly Opinionated, where I basically get to riff on my favorite, you know, dishes of a particular type. And I did one on beef pho. And I searched high and low uh, and found I didn't find, but like I went to this place called Pho Redbow in Garden Grove. And they only use Wagyu beef, and their pho there is so clean and pristine, but richly beefy, and in my opinion, is perfect, and it comes out piping hot. Every time you order it, they, they literally bring it out to your table within a few minutes. I don't know how they do that, um, but it is like the most soulful, most like mind-blowing bowl of pho that you can find, and they have two locations, in uh, one in Artesian, one in Garden Grove. Um, the other place I really like is uh, is Sanongdan. So Sanongdan is pretty famous in Koreatown for its big cauldrons of uh, you know braised spicy beef. But actually, their soups are spectacular, and it's a great reason to go there, kind of midday or in the morning. Um, and they have a bowl there called Tarogbap. Um, it's kind of an underrated soup, Korean soup. Uh, I consider Koreans to be the masters of soup because um, it's a dang cold country. And um, I've been eating Korean soup since I was basically born. Uh, this is my favorite one in Koreatown. Uh, it uses like a seasoned cabbage almost with like a deep beef broth and like chunks of brisket. Um, and it's like a little bit spicy. So it's got a kick. And you just have that with like a bowl of hot rice. And oh, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially when you think of all the rain and how... Um, chili it's been lately. I mean, just a bowl of soup sounds amazing. Um, Mona, not all the soups have to have meat, right? I mean, you can find good vegetarian and vegan options as well across greater LA. You sure can. Um, Lemon Poppy Kitchen is in my neighborhood, minutes away from me. And they make a delicious vegan pozole. 
I think it's really just wonderful and soulful and, um, you know, very hearty. You'll be very full and you'll feel better at the, by the time you reach the end of the bowl. Um, but, and it's not on our, our recent update uh, on our map about soups, but I am a longtime fan of Bulan Thai and Silver Lake. Uh, they also have a handful of soups, actually quite a few. Uh, I have tried all of them and they're all excellent. But I also, and they're completely plant-based. All of these mentioned um, have a really good plant-based menu selection. So, but probably one of the best is from Shojin. They have a kabocha pumpkin onion miso soup. So kabocha is a squash. Um, um, and the pumpkin is just, oh, it's just so nice. And with the miso making it really umami, the flavor is so delicious. It's a longtime macrobiotic restaurant. That just means that it's based on principles of balance of yin and yang. And, uh, and they do that with all of their menus, especially the soup. Matthew, you mentioned Korean soups and growing up on it. What about Korean matzo ball soup, which I mentioned at the top? What's the deal with Korean matzo ball soup? Oh, that's great. Um, this is like a total surprise on the menu at this restaurant called Yangban Society in the Arts District. Um, and the chefs, it's interesting. Um, John and Katiana Hong are like like highest caliber fine dining chefs. I mean, they worked at like three Michelin star places in the Bay Area. And they opened this restaurant early last year. And they kind of wanted to make Yangban into like this sort of deli experience, like a Korean Korean deli. And so it made sense to do a matzo ball soup. It, it, it's a traditional matzo ball soup, but it has sort of a cloudy, thick, like very schmaltzy chicken broth that kind of reminds you of salongtang. Um, and so I, I think that's what is actually notable about it. I, I think actually Mona might know more about this than I do. Uh, Mona, can you <laughs> expand on this matzo ball soup concept? <laughs> Happy to, because I grub on that matzo ball soup down at Yangban. It is, you know, Chef Kat, she grew up with Jewish grandparents on her father's side. Um, you know, her husband, John, grew up in a Jewish Chicago suburb. So this is a, um, a tribute to those backgrounds. And so they roast the bones to make a really great chicken broth. Um, so it's really rich. And then um, ha, um, Kat, she merged her grandmother's version with the Korean hand-pulled noodle soup. And it's so wonderful. And that matzo ball is gigantic. And you'll be full by the time that you're done. It's just a really wonderful combination. I think that that dish is is absolutely L.A. And, and I mentioned also Jamaican cowfoot soup. So there really are Mona cow hoofs hooves feet in the feet, soup yeah i will i will walk you through this is this is you know really good flavor i know that there are some people who might be cringing right now at the idea of cow foot soup but you shouldn't because this is simply a traditional recipe you know there's a ton of soups at this wonderful restaurant at naturally jamaican restaurant but this is one that you should uh just eliminate your assumptions about it has so much flavor. When it's done right, it has a ton of heat. It's super rich. And it's one of those dishes that you should drink when you're, you're, <laughs> when you're ill <laughs> or you just need to feel better about yourself because the flavors are downright delicious. And I, I think that anyone can enjoy this.
so many different soups, so many cultures, right, where soup is just a giant part of the culture. I can think of even growing up in my own household, Greek avro lemono soup, egg lemon soup, which is just amazing. I can think of my grandmother, my yaya, who used to make it for us, uh, and my mom, too. So anyway, I want to thank you both. Um, on cold days, there's nothing like hot soup all across greater L.A., and we'll put a link to the Eater L.A. list at our website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Mona Holmes, reporter at Eater L.A., one of our regulars here. Matthew Kang, lead editor at Eater. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thanks to you for joining us today. That's all the time we have for today. Tomorrow, LAUSD's Black Student Achievement Plan is supposed to address disparities. How's it going? We're going to have that tomorrow. Have something on your mind, even a story idea? Join us at our website, kcrw.com slash greaterla, and you can get the podcast there, too, at the website or wherever you get your podcast. Just search KCRW Greater LA. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Phil Richards, Katie Gilchrist, John Meek, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Sue Margulies, and Christian Bordall all put hard work into this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chiotakis. Thanks for your time and your attention and your taste buds. Have a great night. <laughs>